Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Hello and welcome to another edition of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me from wherever you are in the world. It is a pleasure to have you. My guest this week on the podcast is Jen Book Hasselswert. Jen is a multi-passionate creative and a mum of two from Baltimore in the USA. Jen is an arts integration teacher, a playwright and a dramaturgist, but also enjoys doing all kinds of creating, from pottery to knitting and baking. Jen was first drawn to the theatre through the musical Annie. She was an actor through college and had a short time as a professional actor, but then realised that she actually wanted to teach and write in the theatre instead. Jen holds an undergraduate degree in the theatre and a master's degree in theatre, history and criticism. She works with companies on new play development, reading scripts and doing research into the histories behind plays. She also works with a gallery to teach about the history of various art pieces. Please be aware today's episode contains brief mentions of anxiety and depression. I hope you enjoy episode number 101. Thanks again for tuning in. so much. Jen, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And we were just chatting before we hit record that I'm in your future right now where it's it's Saturday at 1pm in Australia. And what time did you say it was over there? It is Friday night at 10.30pm. There you go. Well, we're still here. The future is yeah. oh, still God, going. Really good to know. <laughs> It's so bizarre to think like that. Like I always love on yeah. New Year's Eve when, because we're one of the first, apart from Auckland, like Sydney's one of the main first ones to go. And I love just sitting there through the day and just watching all the other countries like go through their big fireworks and everything. It's such, and it feels so weird when you're sitting in bright sunshine on a really hot day and you're watching like people in the snow, in the dark. And it is so cool. I love it. <laughs> Well, I have to tell you, my son is 12 years old and he yeah. is really excited that I'm talking to someone in Australia right now yeah. because uh, 
the video game that he was really looking forward to um, came out today. (laughs) And all the YouTubers who he knows has have gone to Australia so that they could get the video game first. Oh, wow. Record all of their YouTube. Yeah. uh, Do their like reactions and what game is that? Do you know what it's called? It is uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, it right is uh, the new Zelda game. Oh, yes, uh, yes, I know the one. You mean. Yeah, yeah, yes, that is a very popular. That that's been gone for a long time too, hasn't it, Zelda? Well, I, like- I mean, yeah, I'm I'm 43, and like I remember playing a Zelda game back on 8-bit Nintendo back in the early 90s. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. good on Zelda. She's still going. Good on her. She is. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, so what part of America are you in, Jen? I am in Missouri, um, which is in kind of like the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Um okay. kind of fraught right now. Uh, but I'm yeah. I'm from uh Baltimore, mm-hmm. which is in Maryland, close to the East Coast. Oh um, yes, yeah, hours from the Atlantic Ocean. You would be um, amazed the amount of people I've had on here from Maryland. Well, I, really? I can't say it right. I say Maryland. Um, yeah, I reckon I've had three three episodes with people from like Baltimore or near Baltimore. Yeah, really? there's something going on in that part of the world that's just coming it's to a me. Very, we embrace kitsch in yeah. a way in Baltimore that like no no other place does, and so I think we kind of <laughs> breed arts loving people. Yeah, oh, I love that. It's so cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to get better with my geography of America. Um, so yeah, it's, I appreciate when you say you're sort of in the middle. That sort of yeah, it's <laughs> my my mental thing. There. Yep, yep. <laughs> so my parents live in Maryland. My brother lives in Los Angeles, California, mm-hmm. and so I'm about fifteen hundred miles from each from each of them. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a beautiful visual. That makes sense. Yes. <laughs> but I still forget which side is Seattle on the west mm-hmm. coast. It is. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes I get confused because New York's on the east coast, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, and Sorry. Seattle's in Washington State and Washington DC is on the east. Oh. How did so they I manage know. that? <laughs> there, there are too many uh you know wanting to name things after the same exact yeah. people why yeah. they're you know i'm in columbia missouri and there's columbia's all everywhere over the place. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep oh there you go eh? it's interesting I, I just i love all these things i get to learn it's all fun <laughs> yeah. actually when i was yeah. a kid i used to play this game it was called where in the world is carmen san diego and that was one I of my favorite game. games. Yes. And I used to love, like, I liked that one more, the, the original more than the time travel one. There was something, I did like the time travel, but yeah, that just made me realize all these amazing places in the world. And I I think that was the start of me being fascinated with, I had to get pen pals so I could talk to people. And then my fascination with the weather, what it's like in other places, like it all just built from that, that game, yeah. just opening my eyes to it. Yeah. It's only way I know nation's capitals. Yes. Is yeah, yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Hey, um, on weather, what what's it like there at the moment? What's your, your uh, right now? It is humid and muggy. Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, we had a really cold snap and a very late cold snap, uh, mm-hmm. where the garden 
gardens kind of froze up and none of the plants knew what to do. Yeah, uh, but now yeah. it's around 85 degrees and very, very humid. I'm just going to work that into my conversion. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I don't have a mask. Oh, you're so still, oh yeah. 30. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's warm. Yeah, but muggies, yeah, muggies yeah. make it a bit uncomfortable. Muggies, no, not muggy. Yeah, there we go. All right, enough of my <laughs> random questions. I have nothing to do with anything. I just indulge myself. I love it. Oh, dear. So you're obviously a mother, Jen, um, and I love on your yes. your Instagram how you say you're like like the coziness of creating things that are cozy, and so you do all sorts of different things. So yeah, share with us what you like to create. Sure. So I stole the phrase from this influencer named uh, Diana Joy, um, which is multi passionate creative, yep. which I think sounds so much better than dilettante. Um, so I, uh, my first I love, love is theater. Uh, but when we're talking about um, the the creating I do with my hands, um, mm -hmm. I love baking. I love pottery. Um, I love quilting and other sewing. Um, just kind of all those things that make you feel warm and cozy. Yeah. Now, oh, sorry, I cut you off. What did you say your first love was? Well, my first love was theater and theater. still is. Oh, magnificent. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get on very well. <laughs> so, um, so no, you're a music person. Yeah. So straight theater or musical theater? Um, mostly straight, um, mm -hmm. just because my voice was never, uh, well, my voice is okay, but, uh, my dance skills we're never at a place where I could, uh, <laughs> nine years of ballet didn't do anything for me. Ah, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So straight theater, I actually, um, have my undergraduate degree in theater, yeah. um, and my master's degree in theater history and criticism. Uh, ah. and I work with, uh, companies on new play development and, uh, reading, scripts and doing research into the histories behind plays and things like that, which is wow, really the most nerdy fun you can possibly have. But that, that just sounds so fascinating, like getting to delve into stuff in such a deep level. And you said criticism. So that means you can be like a proper critic and give like proper critiques on plays and things. Yeah. Yeah. And my sort of, my sort of outlook on things, um, which informs the way I teach too is, you know, saying I like or I don't like really doesn't help anyone in their mm -hmm. creation of theater and their creation of whatever. Um, I also work with a gallery in town to do similar work with uh, some of their gallery shows, um, teaching about the history of the art pieces. Mm -hmm. um, but to ask questions about the creation and uh, ask questions that might lead to more questions that might lead to playing with what answers might be mm. is just such a fun collaborative way to work that playwriting doesn't have to be 
a solo endeavor and you know you can it's called a play for a reason it should be fun This particular guy in Australia, his name's Peter Gers, and he's uh, very, I don't know, well-known in South Australia, not probably the rest of Australia, and certainly not internationally, but he's a theatre critic. And over the years, he's he's, he's made, uh, he has a radio show, um, and he used to be an actor. And he basically, I remember him saying once about critiquing theatre, that there was absolutely no point in um, belittling people or saying, you know, they did a terrible job, you know, it's all about recognising the amount of effort they've gone to, what their intention was behind the piece. Maybe the delivery wasn't, you know, quite what they had hoped or, you know, beyond the level of what he might have expected or whatever. But there's no, there's absolutely no point in just bashing people, you know, when they're having a go. Um, Is that something you can sort of relate to? Absolutely. I think I was taking a professional development one time um, and there was an article that we read about the power of positivity um, in working with something like this with, with art criticism. And I absolutely burst into tears in the middle of class because I had always been called, I don't know if you, do you know the movie Pollyanna? Oh, yes. With Hayley Mills, yep. like the 60s or 70s. Um, yep. So I'd always been called a Pollyanna. Because I am very positive about things. And it had never, you know, being a teenager in the 90s when, you know, it was cool to be aloof and ironic. Yeah. But being a positive person was really difficult. And being positive about things, you know, people kind of looked at it as though you didn't have a critical bone. Mm. That to be critical meant to be nasty. Yeah. Um. And, you know, darn it, I was 15 years old. I liked the Spice Girls and I wanted to be able to like the Spice Girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but I, I couldn't. Um, and, you know, reading reading this article about the power of positivity just struck such a chord with me um, that it should be about buoying up what's good about things and striving to make those things that aren't at that level to that level rather than bringing everything down. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good way of saying it, isn't it? It's like your, your, um, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's this constructive criticism, I guess. It's things that can help people to yeah. make changes or, you know, look at things in a different way. It's not just a straight comment that's, you know, with no possibility for any further anything. It's like doom, a statement that's yeah, not helpful at all. <laughs> I think like when, when we're talking about, you know, being, you know, so criticism doesn't have to be critical, right? Mm -hmm. So like when I'm working with a playwright on developing a new script or a new piece of theater, you know, who cares what I like? What I like isn't necessarily going to be the same thing that an artistic director is going to like, Mm -hmm. or that the lady in row six is going to like, or the man in row seven, they're all going to 
like different things. Yeah. So what's what's the purpose of saying I like this or I don't like that? Mm. But what we can do is say, hey, I noticed that in act one, your character says such and such, but that never comes back in act two. It seemed really mm-hmm. important in act one. Was it important in act one? Um, and being able mm. to ask those questions to help structure that piece. Mm. Um, and play, you know, I, I keep coming back to the word play. Yeah. Play around with, with those answers and hopefully ask more questions. Mm. You know, So it's, really... it's kind of like a, I guess, like, I mean, this is a, a person who knows nothing making this statement, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me like it's like a book editor kind of, like you're you're looking at it with eyes outside of who wrote it and you can pick up stuff like like you said, like is there a theme that seemed important then didn't get continued or has something come up all of a sudden or where did that come from? Like there's no background to this whatever. Um, that's kind of, I, I guess, a layman's way of describing it, what Absolutely. you do. <laughs> For sure. So like uh so the it's called like dramaturg um which is the same as it's the german word for playwright Mm -hmm. and so but we i mean i do write plays but when i'm dramaturging that's not being the playwright um and so i kind of uh so someone who practices metallurgy shapes metal into something beautiful so someone who practices dramaturgy helps shape drama into something beautiful. There you go. That's so cool. I love that. Oh, I've learned a new word today too. Hey. That's awesome. Recall being a child and just like how you got into your love of theater. Where did that come from? Um, I uh that's a great question. Uh I remember going to I don't remember whether it was watching the movie Annie mm-hmm. or going to see a play. Uh, but I remember that it was Annie specifically mm-hmm. and looking at the children on stage and going, I could do that. <laughs> um <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and so I started going to theater camps when I was five. Um, and, you know, just kind of being in plays and my theater camp that I grew up with um, was also at a swim club and did kind of um, sports stuff, too, because it's trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. Um Don Waters movie was filmed there. Speaking of Baltimore. Um, So that was super fun. Um, But, you know, they were very specific that we had, all of us had to take um, music and dance and make the sets and the props uh, Mm -hmm. for the play. So kind of, kind of, you know, well-rounded in that way. Mm. Um, And then I was in all the plays in middle school um, which is sixth to eighth grade here. Yeah. And then in uh when I was going into ninth grade, a new school was opening up that uh was arts focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went there 
And so I've been a theater major since the time I was 13 years old. But the whole time, no one ever told us that there was anything beyond. You could be an actor or you could be a director. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I knew in my head that you could make scenery and things like that. But really, like when you were studying, you were either going to be an actor or a director. And so I came up, you know, with acting um, all the way through, you know, graduating from college. Mm-hmm. And then I was a professional actor for a hot minute. Um, <laughs> I realized that what I had always wanted to do and what I'd been saying since maybe second grade was I want to teach, I want to write, I want to do theater. Mm-hmm. And when I found um, dramaturgy yeah. and also teaching, uh, so I'm an, an arts integration teacher. Uh, for my full-time job, mm-hmm. um, those things, that's, that's what it is. It's, yeah. you know, dramaturgy is using teaching to fulfill the arts and arts and teaching arts integration is using the arts to fulfill education. Wow. And so <laughs> those things yeah. really, it's what I wanted to do since I was in second grade. Yeah. And it was like, it was just, you just hadn't discovered that that was a thing yet. <laughs> I had no idea. And it was actually my roommate when I was oh, 22. Uh, she was, uh, she told us that she was leaving to move uh, to another state because she got a uh, literary management, it's dramaturgy, uh, internship mm-hmm. at a theater out of state. Yep. Uh, and at the same time, one of my friends from high school got a gig on Broadway in the show Mamma Mia. Oh, wow. And I was jealous of my roommate, but wanted to congratulate my friend who was going to be an actress on Broadway. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute. Yeah. Perhaps I need to examine my life. Yeah, and that's so it, that's, isn't it? That's it's, what it's telling it. you. Yeah. 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 There you go. Oh, how cool yeah. is that? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, I found in... I don't know, there's all these little worlds that you have no idea about, you know, like yeah. uh, in talking to people just through this podcast, like discovering all these other things you can do if, you, you know, you want to be involved in art, you know, you, you, it's, you don't, sorry, there's not just, you know, the actual painter. There's all these other things you can be. And yeah. I, one of my favourite chats I've had on here was with an art historian, which I found so fascinating. It was like I feel like I've missed my calling because I love art I not I don't make it very well but I'm really fascinated in the history behind things and the the symbolism and the imagery and how they I don't know express their ideas through different ways and all the different styles of art um yeah so this is really cool that I'm learning something and I bet you there's no one listening that has ever heard the word dramaturgy before so hey <laughs> and if you have <laughs> send me a message on my Instagram and I'll give you a prize or something because this is <laughs> this is cool yeah going completely off path now and now that I know this stuff whoa that I love it I love yeah, good. it um what what are your like favorite 
plays or things that have influenced you the most, like actors or um, themes or anything? Just share with me things that you love yeah, <laughs> about theatre. Well, I always I think about musicals. For, I always think about musicals first because mm-hmm. um, they are musicals are what I don't know captures everything. I don't know. Mm. Um, I love Sondheim. Uh, Stephen Sondheim's work, uh, Into the Woods, is my favorite. Yep. Um, the first act of Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, the second act is not my favorite, um, yep. but the first act is great. Um, I think that there is something in the way that he works his lyrics and music together, mm-hmm. um, being the person who who is able to do both, mm-hmm. um, and his command of rhythms um, are are amazing. Uh, I felt very. Um, uh, content is not the right word vindicated I felt vindicated when I was listening to an interview with him and uh, the interviewer asked um you know how do you come up with your rhymes and he said I use a rhyming dictionary and I was like oh me too I felt I was so excited <laughs> yeah um, so he's uh he's wonderful uh his work is wonderful um uh Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. is another favorite of mine um Howard Ashman and Alan Menken um you know, before they ever wrote The Little Mermaid. Uh, <laughs> their work yeah. adapting. And when I write plays, I do adaptations mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, their work adapting just this weird little B horror movie into this amazing, kitschy work of musical theater yeah. um, is incredible. And there's a moment in the movie where Rick Moranis, um, he does a little riff because he's, you know, very nerdy, Mm -hmm. the character. And he goes, um, I don't know, I don't know. And his voice just changes into this amazing, passionate singer. Um, And being able to pull that out is is wild. I am a big, I've always been a big fan of um, Wendy Wasserstein, uh, who passed away, uh, oh gosh, probably almost 20 years ago now, but uh, her work uh, was one of the first, Her, she and Carol Churchill, I think, were the first two uh, sort of feminist playwrights that I had read, mm-hmm. um, and so their work was really influential on me. Yeah. Um, and there's some fantastic stuff going on in small theaters uh, nowadays. I really wish that Broadway would go back to uh, championing new works and not mm-hmm. reviving the old ones. I will die on the hill that Oklahoma is a subversive piece of theater. It really <laughs> is. Uh, but we don't need oh. to revive it every two minutes. Mm. It's interesting you say that. I had a conversation with, um, back in season two, um, Dr. Erica Ball, who writes contemporary uh, classical music in the US. And we were having this conversation about that why people keep putting on all these shows of Mozart and Tchaikovsky and when there's all these people that are alive 
today mm-hmm. and a lot of women too uh, and people of colour that are, are writing new music and why aren't we listening to that and why aren't they being put on? And, um, yeah, it was this sort of this push and pull between the audience that wants to hear something familiar mm-hmm. because they think they will enjoy themselves more if they know what they, you know, they know it and they feel familiar with it or the audience that wants to feel challenged and wants to be pushed out of their comfort zone. And it's a real quandary. And I guess it probably is a similar thing because at the end of the day, these these things have got to make money. So that's this Absolutely. driving and decision this whole, making. Yes. And there's this whole conversation about how like the older people have more of the money. Mm. And so if we yep. want to make yep. money, we have to do what the older people quotes yeah yeah. want to see what they want to see is what they're comfortable with but what we're forgetting is that younger people want to be part of these conversations they want to support the arts people who you know can't necessarily afford you know to you know wear a suit to an evening of five hundred dollar theater you know they they also deserve the arts they also deserve to see themselves on stage Mm. um and be exposed to these different worlds and so there's you know yes the arts need to make money and we need to you know keep bringing in the people who are going to pay for the things but also not forget that there's a new and diverse audience out there who also needs to see this work. There's a Mm -hmm. theater company in town here that does incredibly um, avant-garde, fantastic works. And I've uh, worked with them uh, with uh, dramaturgy a few times, Mm -hmm. um, kicking myself that I wasn't able to work on their new play, um, which is up this weekend. But they do these phenomenal site-specific works and, you know, both that theater and the community theaters in town and the other professional theaters in town make things very accessible to a diversity of audiences, which I think Mm. is a really wonderful thing about our local arts community here. Um, That, you know, yes, you can go and see Ragtime and Susical. Mm. And also an immersive Frankenstein, you know, which is yeah. really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like the bigger things get, the more mainstream they have to get to have yeah. an audience. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Which is kind of disappointing. back to the purpose of our discussion today (laughs) which i'm i'm not apologizing at all for going off track and i'll probably do it again um how many thank you for having a grown-up arts conversation it's my pleasure i love it i do love it um yeah so how many kids have you got jen i have two uh Mm -hmm. i have uh mickey who is 12 and eloise who's 15 months 
Oh, gorgeous. I love that name, Eloise. That is such a sweet little name. Oh, that's beautiful. So two kids at completely different stages of their of their growing up. How how are you finding that the gap? And I'm asking that because I've got seven years between my two. And at, at times it can be very challenging. But how do you sort of navigate that, the differences, I suppose, the challenges of that? Yeah. We were very wishy-washy for 10 years about whether or not we wanted to have another baby. Yeah. Uh, and then all, all of our friends were having pandemic babies. So we thought, let's have a pandemic baby. And so we had a pandemic baby. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were really, you know, honestly nervous about how Mickey was going to handle, um, you know, not being an only child anymore after being an only child for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um and their relationship is so sweet. Um, she started giving real hugs just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, she loves, they they run at each other and he picks her up and she hugs him around the neck and it's, it's super sweet. Um, and I really like that, you know, there are things that, you know, that we do with Mickey that Eloise can't be involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I took him to see um, Wicked uh, mm-hmm. at a theater. We're, we're two hours in either direction from the closest, like, big city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took him to one of the big cities uh, to see the tour of Wicked. And she can't come. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, we're taking him on a behind-the-scenes tour of uh, the zoo because he, um, he wants to be a zookeeper oh, when awesome. he grows up. Well, and yeah. you have to be, uh, he is, we're specifically taking him behind the scenes at the reptile house mm-hmm. and you have to be over eight to yeah. come or to go to the reptile house. So there are these things that we only do with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that really helps, um, you know, strengthen that relationship since, you know, a lot of attention has to mm-hmm. be on her. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't do the same nighttime routine with Mickey anymore that we used to do because Eloise has an earlier bedtime. And honestly, I fall asleep with her a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, their their relationship is really fantastic. I was just thinking the other day that when she graduates from high school, I'm going to be 60, <laughs> which is very old. Um, <laughs> You know, it'll be fine. Yeah, I, I've yeah. done that actually. I hope they maintain that. Uh, that yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's love. That's really nice. Um, when you talk about that thinking to the future, I remember one day I was sitting in the car waiting at school pickup, and I worked out how many more years I'll be sitting in the car at this spot for school uh-huh. pickup. I was like, oh my god! Like it freaked me out for a second. But you don't think about that every day. Um, no, no. Yeah, you just you just get on with with your life. But yeah, I think the saddest moment for me though, like I'd never had sort of any like sort of regrets or anything about the age gap because it just literally it happened how it had to happen. You know, it couldn't have happened any other way. And um, but then when I realized they'll never actually go to school together, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's a shame because I really liked, you know, having my sister at school and, you know, just I think the ease of the drop-offs and the pickups, you know, one location. But I was like, oh, and that was really the only time I sort of had a bit of a moment. But apart from that, yeah. But how did you feel? Oh, sorry, you go on. It's interesting too. I work at um, at a small uh, private arts-based school. Mm-hmm. Um 
and there's a preschool and I work at the elementary. I used to work at the preschool. Um, And Mickey was already in uh, elementary school when I started working at this school. So we've kept him in public school and he's really thriving in public school. Um, Eloise is already registered at the preschool for when she turns two. Um, So for August, 2024. Um, And it's just a very different, you know, kind of, kind of thing I know from being an extracurricular teacher of Mickey's. He's taken some of my theater camps and uh, I used to teach an artful yoga class (laughs) where you, uh, the kiddos do yoga and then they do an art project that gets at that same sort of meditative space. Um, And it's just, it it does not always work out for me to be Mickey's teacher. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, it might be completely different with Eloise that, Mm. you know, she might be able to be my student. And so just kind of thinking about the differences between having a child in public school and having a child in private school. Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how she'll be, but you know, it might be be (laughs) different. Yeah. No, it's, and I've noticed the differences in how children are educated in the, the gap like, I don't know, just the things that Alex used to bring home, the eldest, about how he was taught to read and particular mm. things around maths. And then uh, Digby, the little one, it's like they use completely different um, jargon about talking about things. And sometimes I'll find myself saying a thing that Alex used to do, like uh, they used to call it chunk it up when you had a really big a really big word and you break mm. it into two. And Digby look at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, sorry, you don't say that. You say something else now. And just, yeah, just these all these little differences. It's like it's, it's been quite interesting because my background's in early childhood education, so I found it really interesting to see how, you know, these new I guess new research is being done and and things like that over the years about how you deliver your content or whatever and all the all the new technology that's around now, which wasn't around oh when gosh. Alex was a little tacker. <laughs> yeah, Mickey Mickey asked the other day. Uh, he was like, "Why do you keep changing my rules about how much screen time I'm allowed to have? Like how much time on the switch and how much time on the iPad?" We said because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Nobody. No one has ever had to do this before. Yeah, that's we it. have no idea. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah, we're like, all trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're the guinea pig generation when it comes to this. Exactly. Aren't we? Oh my gosh, it's funny. Yeah. Talking about differences, I, I want to chat about when you when you had Mickey and mm-hmm. your transition to becoming a mother compared to when you had Eloise. Um, how how did you go with your own identity, I guess, and the adjustments in changing from Jen to somebody's mother? Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Um, when I had Mickey. It was, you know, I was 31 and most of my friends hadn't yet had children. 
um, being in the Washington DC area at that time, people have children very late. Um, and so I think I knew one couple who had a baby and so kind of being like you said, the guinea pigs, um, (laughs) at the time, um, and kind of having to figure this all out. Um, my parents were, uh, relatively close by about 45 minutes away at that time. And my mom was one of Mickey's, uh, primary caregivers Mm -hmm. while I was at work. She came three days a week uh, and he had sitters the other two days or with my husband and being able to have my mom there, um, being supportive, um, and being really my role model of being a parent because I didn't have, well, because she's awesome, but also because I didn't have any real peers to look at as role models yeah, um, yeah, and just kind of trying to figure it all out at that time. Um, between when we had Mickey in the Washington DC area and having Eloise here, mm-hmm. um, you know, we lived, we've kind of uh, slowly gone uh, halfway across the country. We made a stop in Michigan, which is the little mitten shaped uh, yeah. state up by Canada. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so we made a stop there for two years, uh, and then moved here. And within that 10 years in between Eloise and Mickey, you know, now that I'm in my forties, my husband's in his forties. Now, most of our friends are finished having babies. And so, you know, we don't feel like we're starting from scratch. We don't feel like we're starting not knowing anything. And Mm -hmm. in fact, our friends are very thankful that we're helping them clean out their basements and garages and giving us all the things. Um, But it feels, um, even with all the changes, you know, there there are apps for everything now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, having online communities now that didn't exist back in 2011. it it feels less like we're reinventing ourselves and more like, yeah, this is just how this is. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can I kind of relate to that and the way you've worded <laughs> that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's new, but it's not new in a way, you know, it's, yeah, yeah it's familiar at the same yeah. time. Did they you are very find- different children. Yeah. Um, yep. So like, you know, Mickey was sleeping in his own room at two months and sleeping through the night at four months. Mm-hmm. Eloise moved out of our room at six months and still isn't sleeping through the night. Yeah. Um, and never got the crib transfer. And so we're using a floor bed with her instead of a crib and things mm-hmm. like that. So there are definitely yep. new things to learn, but it's not a complete reinvention. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's interesting, isn't it? Like my two are completely different, same sort of thing. Like, I don't know just what you said then just, yeah, sounds very similar. Um, and it's like, you're getting to know the child. Like you sort of, you know, the ups, you know, the, the, the physical, the caring role, the routine, but it's getting to know this little person. And that's something I found really actually quite exciting about having another child um, after putting it off for so long was that it's like, yeah. oh, I get to meet a new person 
and find out what they're like and what they like and what they don't like and all this sort of stuff. It was actually something I hadn't really thought of when I'm, when I, you know, the overwhelm of having your first child. It's just like, oh, and you stop to think. Yeah. yeah when, and, and being older too, did you find that like have physically being older yourself, being older, like I had digs, Alex, I was 29, I reckon. I had him a few months before I turned 30 and digs, or what's that, seven years after that. Um, I just felt like so much more content in myself as a person, yes. you know, um, and especially moving like close to your 40s when I think that's the time when you literally decide you don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And feeling so much like uh, like I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Mm. That yeah. when I was when I was pregnant with Mickey, I was uh I was the education program manager of a regional children's theater and I was teaching theater classes five days a week. Mm-hmm. And I would still, you know, eight months pregnant, squat down on the floor and things like, cause this is what I do for my job. And I'm st- yeah. with Eloise. I was at like six months. I was like, I can't walk up the hill to the playground anymore. Get me a chair. <laughs> yeah. No one else is going to have to do that. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, like I'm going to ask for what I need and, and mm-hmm. people are going to understand and that's going to be okay. Yeah. Yes, that's good. I can you like, Now go on, you go. Yeah, I think like a big thing for me though is that I wish I mean I think this is this is always the case with people who have second children, third children, fourth children, whatever. I'm not going there. Um <laughs> but I there are things that I wish that I had known with Mickey that I know with Eloise Mm -hmm. and it's not just the actual caregiving part, but I wish that, you know, in between the time that I had Mickey and the time that I had Eloise, my understanding of early childhood education, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, um, the arts, uh, how to provide experiences to children and the physical location that we're in has changed so much mm-hmm. that like now, you know, we go on nature walks and there mm-hmm. wasn't that in, well, not that I knew of in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, we, you know, have these, you know, tactile experiences and toys that. Uh, you know, are more open-ended and and Mm. things like that. You know, I know how to create things for Eloise that I know how to create for Mickey. And Mm. so I wish that he had been able to have those experiences as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can relate to that too. You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. Did, I guess this mum guilt thing, it's a big one that I like to talk about. Um, what's your thoughts about that whole thing? Oh, it absolutely exists, at least for me. I can't speak for anybody else. but it, So I'm Jewish uh, right. and we have lots of guilt everywhere all the time uh it's <laughs> generational trauma yay oh, um gosh. uh but um i think it comes from 
so many different places that you just internalize it without meaning to. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, my husband is incredibly supportive. Um, He's a wonderful dad, a wonderful partner. And I still feel bad telling him that I want to take a pottery class because it's Mm going to take me away from the family. Yeah, It is absolutely nothing that he has done or expressed or would do or express. In fact, when I tell him, hey, I really want to take this pottery class, he goes, good, Mm. you should, in that tone of voice. Um, And so he's incredibly supportive. But I feel guilty about taking that time away. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I was just talking about the positive influences of having online communities. Um, But there's absolutely negatives with Mm. that as well. It's, you know... I found some wonderful supportive communities, but, you know, I still feel the need to say like, oh, we watch such and such. We're not a no screen time family. Like, I feel (laughs) like I put that out. We're not no screen time or, um, oh, Eloise had, oh, she had a peanut M&M the other day. And I watched her like a hawk. I mean, yeah, like, I feel, yeah, it's I like, like this caveat. To... Yeah. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so there are wonderful things about that online community. And then just things that make you stop for a second. Not mm. that anyone is necessarily actually judging you, mm. but just yeah. the assumption that someone will. Yeah. That, that culture that we've sort of become familiar with I suppose that that that's what we should expect to happen when we share things like that yeah yeah Yeah. that's so true I've found um I've deliberately stopped following people that make me feel challenged like that that I feel like oh if such and such read this or somebody saw this I'd feel uncomfortable so I've really done I I do it every now and then just go through the list and go no actually not feeling it and try to try to have on my feed people that I don't know are very similar to me in their values I guess (laughs) is a good way to put it yeah we just started with a new sitter Mm -hmm. um and she has a Reggio Emilia background I have a Reggio Emilia background and uh you know that can go a couple of different ways um you could be super crunchy um you know, mm. all, all the super crunchy things. Yeah. Um, or you, you could potentially be, I call myself crunchy, but realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I exist in this world and this is, yes. this is where I am. Yeah. And so when we were interviewing, uh, I would say, oh, you know, uh, we're not no screen time. Uh, and she goes, you watch Bluey? I'm like, oh yeah, we watch Bluey. <laughs> oh, I love Bluey. <laughs> oh, love Eloise is not as into it yet as I am, yeah. but oh, it's the best. Oh, uh, his just, parents. Yes, I'll real. tell you. Last night yeah. we were watching. We had Bluey on, and uh, everyone else left the room but me. And I just sat there and watched it. I watched it for about two hours by myself, laughing my yes. head off. Um, can I ask though? Do you guys get the humor, the Australian humor, like that? Because Bandit can be I, quite I colloquial. Get, yeah, I don't think we get all of it. But yeah. I think like what goes over our heads 
just like we don't know. You don't know that you don't know. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah. 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 yeah no. I just want to be chilly healer when I grow up. You know? <laughs> She's awesome. Good old chilly. <laughs> She's got oh. the stickers in her car and like it's it just feels very real. Yeah. Um yeah, and I love that yes, her car is so messy. The messy car is what I can relate to. And there was a joke in one of the episodes where her sister comes to visit and they the kids have never met the sister. And um the oh, somebody, I think it was Bingo, had a had a onesie on that turned her into a cheater or something. Anyway, they were hiding in the car. That's where I'm going with this. And Chili said, that's okay. We won't die because there's food under the seats. And I was like, yes, you can see yes. in my car. Like <laughs> I feel really validated right now, not judged. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, dear. Yeah, sorry, I hijacked. You were talking about Bluey and then you were going to say something else and no, I just I jumped it. in. No, sorry. This is... <laughs> and I have to tell you that this is the way that parents in America also respond when I say bluey. Everyone yeah. always goes, do, 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 And like, just everybody does it. Yeah. Oh, love um, it. So yeah, so I was interviewing this, this woman. Like, so you watch bluey? I say, yeah. She goes, you watch Miss Rachel? I'm like, yeah, we watch bluey and Miss Rachel and Sesame Street. She's yeah. like, oh yeah, Sesame Street too. Uh, and then there was something else. Oh, we were talking about food mm-hmm. and how we both have the same um, we have the same, uh, kind of outlook on food for our kids where we like, you know, we try to be nutritious, mm-hmm. but also where everything in moderation, yeah. people set the kids up for positive associations with food and positive mm-hmm. relationships with their bodies. And yep. so that just made me feel real good that like, here's this person with this background in early childhood education and the arts and we have the same kind of outlook on mm. on things and that she's not going to make me feel like mm. I should cloth diapers, you know? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And when, like, when you go, she does all this different stuff. It's like, oh, I'll do this while she's not here. And when she gets back, it'll be like, <laughs> you know, yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I've been looking after kids for a long time in my job. And I don't know, I feel like most people are don't know what the word is they are the screen time parents they are the snack parents most people are like that like that that's what we are but then the voices in the not that section are really Mm. loud and then they make us feel bad about our choices or our what we do with our kids so I don't know how you block out the noise but yeah it's a hard one it is a tough one yeah no thanks for sharing that about about that I, I find it really interesting I shouldn't say I feel it. It's interesting talking to people about their guilt. I sound like I'm like some sort of creeper. But I just find it <laughs> fascinating how, you know, people's, their cultural background, the location, their upbringing and, and everything that goes into creating a person, um, how that affects how you parent. And, and I just find it so fascinating. So, yeah, thanks for indulging me there. Oh, um, of course. that for you 
to create, to continue to create and not just in, you know, your profession, but also the things you do at home, like you're, you're talking about all the things you like to do. Do you feel like that's really important for you to maintain for you, for yourself? Yeah, I think a big thing for me, um, I'm a person with anxiety and depression (laughs) and I think, and I know that that's something that comes up a lot in these conversations. Yeah. Yeah, It's very Um, common. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I found pottery, you know, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. That's part of how my anxiety manifests, um, in perfectionism and then procrastination, um, cause if things can't be perfect, then why do them? Mm-hmm. Um, when I found pottery, you can't be perfect with it, mm-hmm. especially when you're first starting out. And if you make something that's awful (laughs) and you fire it, then your mom will want it. Uh, And that's great. Uh, And your mom always, my mom, I don't know about other people, but my mom always makes me feel good about stuff. So she's got a couple of really terrible things that I've made. Uh, (laughs) And she keeps them forever. Yeah. (laughs) My dad also, my dad is also very excellent. They share the bathroom, but I give them to my mom. Um, (laughs) But uh if something flops on the wheel or it doesn't work out when you're hand building it, um, you squish it and mm-hmm. you let it dry out a little bit. So it's not completely full of water. Um, and then you make something else mm. and you try again. Yeah. And just knowing that it's not going to be perfect. It, it can't be perfect. Mm. And that is okay. And then you can squish it. Um, mm. Yeah. It was just so like my very first class, it was so just affirming. Um, and now I'm, now I can make things that you can use and you can, I, I made, I made this mug that I'm oh, drinking out gorgeous. of. gorgeous. Um, is that blue? Is it blue and brown? It, it, it's like a, like a, almost uh, like a Tiffany blue. Yeah. It's um, gorgeous. And then brown and I, you know, and I, I thank you. Um, and I keep learning things and, and you can hold it and put something in it that will nourish your body. And, mm. you know, I keep learning new techniques and I learned how to facet. Um, mm. yeah. I found that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I want to make everything. And right now <laughs> I'm taking a class uh, about surface decoration and I'm learning how to scratch away colors and how to do lino prints and yeah, right. things like that and clay. And it's, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, the stakes are so low. Yeah. Yeah. But if you make something beautiful or something useful, those stakes are super high. And like, mm-hmm. you've, you've done this thing yeah. um, that can help nourish your body or your uh your home Mm. I find that the things that I like to do I was thinking about this today the things that I like to do uh theater pottery quilting um baking Mm -hmm. require other people's active participation and so it's this nurturing instinct. These are things that sometimes maybe I do them by myself, but the people, the other people involved aren't passive participants Mm. Yeah, that 
you know, maybe, and I, I read somewhere, someone said, uh, you know, people think I like embroidery because it's soothing and meditative, but really I just get to stab something over and over again. Uh, and I felt that very deeply in my yeah. soul. Um, I've never thought of it that I, way. <laughs> right. I hadn't either until I read that and I was like, yes, that is exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and when I make my quilts, it's, I completely hand piece and hand quilt. Um, mm. I can't be bothered to load a bobbin. I don't know how to do it. It's fine. I'll just take a hand. It's more trouble than um, it's worth. <laughs> you know, I really feel that. Yeah. I, I am looking at my sewing machine right now. Yeah. It, I, I don't use it. It's right there. <laughs> I'm not using it. I'm sewing by hand. Um, but at, like I can take it with me to uh, a waiting room and yeah. sit and do that there. But then when I finished a quilt, you know, you can, you can snuggle or you can mm. say, where's Eloise <laughs> or, you can, uh, you know, um, take it to a picnic mm. and sit yeah. in it. Um, and so there are these, and then with baking, you, you eat it and that's <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> better than having cheese, right? My husband does the yeah. same baking most of the time, yeah, um, right. but I, it's, oh. Making a cake, man, that's the best. Oh, yes. My uh, my little one, he loves making cakes because he gets to lick the beaters and that is oh, like, yeah. that's it though. He doesn't eat it afterwards. So we make these cakes and they're sitting there. Oh. It's like, oh, better eat this cake because I can't let it go to waste, you know. Damn. Yep. But, yeah, it's and then it we make. <laughs> yeah, and the, if you, we make something else where the batter is not that consistency, he's not interested in helping me at all. Like huh. it's like he just has to lick the beaters, and it's like this ritual. I remember as a kid, like getting to lick the beaters when when we'd mum had finished her cooking, and you know I probably always wanted the one with the most on it. So you know I always make sure I give him the one that he wants, and that's lovely. Like the one that whatever I get, you know, I don't know. It's just creating those um, the traditions, I suppose that you know. Yeah. And I, I had to teach him how to do it properly too, because you don't you got to not waste any of it. So you know. So Mickey knows when I'm baking, uh, if he's not involved and I go, Hey Mickey, I have a really important job. He knows that means he gets to lick the beaters. Like that's the, <laughs> he knows what his important job is. is I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. Isn't it? Cause that's the thing when your kids get older, like things that they were quite happy to do when they're starting to be, I'm a teenager. It's like, Oh, I'm actually not interested in that anymore. But that's a lovely way that he probably always continued to be involved. Cause who can say no to licking the beaters? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, ah. That's so lovely. That's really nice. I love that. So with that, I mean, this next question probably won't apply so much to Eloise at this stage of her life, but with Mickey, do you find it important that he sees you as someone who's not just there, and I say just, I shouldn't say just, not there only to be in a mothering role for his benefit or for the household's benefit, but you're also your own person and you do things that don't involve anybody else sometimes? Yeah, Absolutely. 
I think my mom um, is the most incredible role model in a lot of ways. Um, but one of those is that she, you know, she was a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was 10 years old, she went to college. Yeah. She hadn't gone to college. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't going back to school. This was her, her first go. Yeah. Um, and so seeing that she was going and getting a degree um, and doing that set that as a role model for me. Mm. Um, I mean, also partly that like I would be struggling with my homework at the same time that she was struggling with her homework. Mm. And so that was a really great it wasn't great that she was struggling. Yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. It was, yeah. it was a great thing, a great thing to see that she was, you know, making these efforts mm. uh, to do something that she really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of my role model in that way that, you know, you can be a mom, which is really awesome and also be your own person. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of struggle a little bit when I'm, writing like the Instagram tagline or mm -hmm. an artist statement. Yeah. What do I put first? Yeah. And if I don't put mom first, what does that mean for my identity? Yeah. But if I do put mom first, what does that mean for my identity? Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Who do I want to be in an outward facing way? Can I get a little bit political? Of course you can. Absolutely. I'd welcome that. Yes. <laughs> um, so Missouri um, has been making some um, some uh, laws that yes. are against uh, what my family and I personally believe about the right for every human being to be a human being. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a uh, trans rights rally in the state capitol, which is just about a half hour away from where we live. Mm -hmm. um, and it happened to be a day that neither Mickey nor I had school. Um, and I asked him, I was like, hey, bud, do you want to, neither of us have school, do you want to go to the trans rights rally? And he was like, yes, absolutely. Oh, and so him. that was, and Eloise came too, yeah. uh, but we didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, but it's, you know, important, I think, you know, he can be whoever he is, whoever he wants to be. Um, but I think it's important that he knows, you know, that we are all political beings and that mm. we make choices in this world to speak up for ourselves and to speak up for other people. Mm. Um so, you know, talk about like life is politics. You can't leave politics oh, out of a conversation. Absolutely. All of yes. life is politics. Actually, yes. just commented that on a parenting message board oops, uh, where they were like, oh, shouldn't, you know, can't we just have one space where we can keep politics out of it? And I'm like, I don't understand why I just, life is politics. Mm -hmm. My body is political. My yes. parenting yes. is political. 
my yeah. teaching is political like life is politics yeah literally um, it's all it all overlaps yeah. like we can't be who we are we couldn't be who we are if it wasn't for the political environment that we're in so absolutely yeah yeah my yeah. parents were protesters in the 60s oh, uh so like, this is, yes <laughs> i found my dad's conscientious objector card from the vietnam oh, war beautiful yes yeah. well uh, done which is yeah. rad um yeah but uh but yeah i think that for for kids to know that their parents are caregivers and also that it's important for them to take care of themselves mm. um yeah never thought about it that way till it just came out of my mouth oh. but that's what it is but it is in a yeah. nutshell literally isn't it like that's it um, because if you don't look after yourself you don't care for yourself you can't look after anybody else um yeah and going back to what you're saying about involving your son in the politics, I think it's really important to do that. And I was having this conversation with someone, I uh, can't remember, a while ago maybe, about the way the generations, certainly in Australia, I'm not you know, obviously familiar with, with how it's been going over there, but my parents and my grandparents would never tell me who they voted for. Like they wouldn't, we, have the, we have the two parties here, the main parties, you've got the Liberal and Labor. And Liberal is meant to be Liberal but it's not the right word to describe that party because they're not they're not modern, they're not progressive, they're not for the people, they're sort of the opposite. They're the right-wingers um, and the left-wing is the Labor Party, which is, you know, for, for the working man and for the arts and for all the good things that I believe in. Um, yes, and, um, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't find out who my family voted for for a very long time, and there's, and there's also this culture over here, and I guess it's the same everywhere, that you sort of, you don't necessarily vote for who your parents voted for because they voted for that, but you're brought up in that particular way that it's more likely you're going to vote that way, yes. I guess. Um, it'd be pretty radical if you sort of went off the other way, I guess. So, yeah, I sort of worked it out just by accident as I got older. And I remember asking my nana once, like, because it was voting day and they went off and voted. And I said, oh, who do you vote for? She goes, oh, no, you don't ask people that. You can't You can't ask people that. And uh, I'm really glad now that the politics is such an open conversation because, you know, my son's almost 16. We vote at 18 over here. And it's I don't want him walking into a polling booth one day just going, oh, okay, so what's this all about? Uh, what do I do here? You know, like... I want him to grow up understanding the culture that we live in and how the politics, obviously, as we said before, it's it's a fundamental part of our lives. And we often joke, um, you know, my husband has been a Liberal voter for a long time and I've been a Labor voter forever. And and we ch I chat to my son about the differences and why, you know, a in a certain um, circumstance or over a particular issue, why I feel the way I do and why the way Dad feels the way he does, you know. So I'm not telling him he has to vote for either or whatever. I am simply want him to have an understanding of how these parties and what they believe in will affect him as a person mm -hmm. and the decisions that he'll make in his life moving forward and in his children's life if he has them. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think it's wonderful to get kids involved as early as you can, as early as, as is appropriate or as you believe so for your child and your family. Because like you said, it's it's all intertwined. You can't have one without the other. My husband is actually a professor of political science. That's what oh. brought us to Missouri. Awesome. <laughs> um, and so like, and his father 
is also a professor of political science. Yeah. Um, and uh, so like he knows who his father and who his parents had voted for because, you know, yeah. he was out on campaign trails and, you know, doing research and things like that mm-hmm. um, with, do you know the American sitcom from the 80s, Family Ties? Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so with Alex P. Keaton, who was a Reagan Republican, mm-hmm. while his parents were hippies. Yes. Um, and so I think, <laughs> I think about that pretty frequently, that like, you know, you can be anything you want to be, but like, don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's been, you know, over the last, several very scary oh, years in gosh, America yes. Yes. Um, with, um, you know, people are changing from what, you know, they had traditionally been voting either for better or for worse. Mm. Um, and people have started having these conversations more and more frequently as, you know, you become empowered to tell, you know, especially older relatives like, Hey, it's not okay that you talk that way. Mm. Uh, yes. We had a member of our family come out as transgender um, a couple, was it just last year? I think it was just last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having to, you know, teach their 90 something year old grandmother mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the other relatives uh, who are of our parents' generation you know, what that means and that they are still the same person. They just, you know, have a name and a, you know, and other stuff that, that fits them better now. Mm. Um, and, you know, we God bless this current generation that like, we, uh, we told Mickey, we're like, Hey, here's, here's what's going on with this member of our family. Um, do you have any questions? And he's like, no. <laughs> And then we like randomly ran into this family member. Uh, We knew that we were going to the same place on a family vacation, but we didn't know. We like ran into them on the beach um, (laughs) completely randomly. And uh, we hung out with them for a a while and then they went their way and we went our way. And we looked at Mickey. We're like, so see, same, same exact person. And he looks at me, he goes, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No questions. No, like, there's no, like, nerves or anything. It's like, yes. No. Yeah. 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 It's wonderful, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, And I tell you recently, we are, you know, of a minority religion, um, but we don't wear our minority on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I am also of a minority gender. I am a woman. Um, But, you know, for all intents and purposes, at least as far as we know now, Mickey is a cisgender, straight, white male. Mm -hmm. And we have spoken pretty frequently about, you know, that, you know, he's got a responsibility to speak up for people who don't have those appearances. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry that we've had to have those conversations. Um, My But I'm glad that we have had them. Yeah. Um, my husband is not Jewish. And when, um, you know, conversations about, uh, you know, there was a, a right wing awful protest where they were chanting, the Jews will not replace us mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. And you know, he was like, well, 
or, you know, conversations about uh, the Holocaust and things like that. And he's like, well, isn't Mickey too young to hear about these things? And I'm like, I don't ever remember not knowing. Yeah. Like, I don't ever remember a time in my life when I didn't know what the Holocaust was. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like this moment where you remember getting sat down and told it was like part of your culture, part of your, your, it was there, a very visible part of, of, yeah, knowing. Yeah. 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 It's an important part of being a human being. Mm. And, you know, when people talk about bringing it back to the arts, you know, when people talk about the arts, oh, can't they just not be political? Why do actors have to talk about politics? Why do the Mm. arts are political? The arts have always been political. When we read Richard III, Mm -hmm. we have to remember that you know, Shakespeare's patron was Queen Elizabeth I and her, now I'm going to get the lineage wrong. It was either her grandfather or her father. No, it wasn't her father. It was her grandfather. Her father was Henry VIII. It was her grandfather who is the hero who who slays Richard at the end of the play. Mm. Richard III is political propaganda. Yeah. 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 Theater is always political. Art is always political Mm. period yeah Yeah. we actually had this um a big thing happen in australia recently or not recently now a few few months ago was it last year i can't remember now time's just a construct really um as we were saying before um but yeah there was this lady she's the richest person in australia i'm not going to honor her by saying her name because i don't believe in her beliefs and her thoughts and her things so um she won't be listening, so it doesn't matter. But Australians <laughs> will know who I'm talking about. She has a lot of minds that she inherited from her father. And uh, anyway, she she was sponsoring one of the uh, she was sponsoring one of the netball teams, and one of the netball players was an, is an Indigenous Australian First Nations person, and she made a comment that she wasn't really impressed by the comments that this rich person's father had said about Aboriginal people. He'd said it back in the 80s and um, it wasn't appropriate then but never obviously got called out then. Um, but uh, so this this woman's sort of response to that was to take all the money away from them, took all of their funding away so they didn't have a sponsor. And most most women in Australia that play professional sport, they have a day job because they don't they can't get sponsorship. Um, so they're not professional full-time professional athletes like unlike the men who get a lot of money. Anyway, her this rich person made the sorry, this is a long convoluted thing, but I'm getting there. Um, made the comment that sport and politics should never mix. And it just reminded me when you said about the arts, it's like particularly in a country like Australia where sport is like a religion, it is like a way of life for people. And politics overlaps everything, like we've said. It just reminded me of that and I thought I'll mention it. I don't know why it's taken me so long to get it out, but that was my point. Yes, absolutely. No, I totally, and I have all of these thoughts like spinning in my head about like, Oh. It's the same thing has happened in in America. Uh, we play the national anthem before all of our sporting events, which, yep. yeah, let's take politics out of it. Why do we play the national anthem before all of our sporting events? You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, then a few years ago, people started uh, 
uh, kneeling uh-huh. during the national anthem. Yeah. Um, to that they don't really stand for what the national anthem stands for. And I got, you know, kicked off of teams and uh-huh. their sponsorship taken away and, you know, things like that. It's been. Yeah. 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 I don't know. That that really annoyed me. That did that whole, the, the taking the knee, like, honestly, it's a wonderful thing to do. And, and then it just got turned into this, I don't know, white persons again taking over and saying what what everybody can do or can't do. It's like back yeah. to the colonial day. Sorry, that's not a very nice thing to say, but it, it, that's what it reminded me of. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, well, thank you. No, thanks for talking about that stuff. <laughs> I do like a good chat about politics. Um, and I do, yeah. It's and it's oh, I do like to hear about other countries how they're going with stuff too because I I mean I I consume a lot of media um particularly independent media but there's nothing like hearing it <laughs> not from the horse's mouth I'm sorry Jen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean getting a person's perspective is living it right now yeah but geez there's some stuff going on over there I I watch what's happening in America and geez I feel sorry for you guys I just think Oh, can you imagine, do you think one day it will actually become two countries? Like, is it that bad that people just have to not be near each other? I know that's a really simplistic thing to say, but. Yeah. And it's wild because like where I live would absolutely be the part of the country that I don't agree with Mm -hmm. because that's, yeah, that's who I am. And it's so interesting because the two major cities, St. Louis and Kansas City, St. Louis in particular, is so much more liberal, liberal, mm-hmm. like actual liberal. Yeah. yeah. Um than the rest of Missouri. But just the way that political lines are drawn. That's the thing. Our political lines are drawn mm. just horribly. Um yeah, right. and you know there's um you know, Missouri is one of nine states in the country that has a compulsory Holocaust education, right? Um, which is wild to me. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's 100% because of lobbyists in St. Louis. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, where I live right now in Columbia is this, like, so the um, left is blue and the right is red. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in this tiny little blue dot in the sea of red. Yeah, right. Partly, you know, for a major part because the university is here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. wild. Like it mm. is, it, yeah, it's, and like, I don't, you know, people say like, well, if you don't like it, go someplace else. Well, you know, but then I couldn't make change. Ha- not that I, one person, I'm going to mm. make change happen. I know what you mean, though. It's like you're abandoning the opportunity to be involved in challenging what they're happening, what's happening here, I guess. Yeah. But at the same time, like I know families with transgender children who ha- are leaving the state because mm. they have. Oh, you'd, uh, fear, you'd fear for your safety. Like, absolutely. From what I've seen over here. Yeah. If that's accurate. Yeah. It's pretty appalling. Yeah. It's really reproductive important. rights as well. It's, oh, it's yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All the things. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Jeepers. And it's yeah. funny though. I would say 
oh, this is a reasonable guess, almost 100% of people I've talked to on this show, I don't know if it's an arts thing, but they're always left-leaning voters. If it's a, a thing about compassion and, you know, listening to people, emotion sharing, supporting each other, it's always the arts people. It's just mm-hmm. an inherent thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was reading or I was wearing, um, uh, I have a, a shirt that says I'm with the band, but it's B-A-N-N-E-D. And it's uh, <laughs> I and love it. like a band books. Yeah. And I wore it to work the other day and one of the fifth graders um, said to me, you know, is that about banned books? And I said, yeah. And she said, why do people ban books? And I said, because they don't want to ask questions about things. They just want to get rid of things that they don't understand. Mm. And then she gave me a big high five. Mm. Um, But I think that that brings it all back to the power of positivity and asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that artists are in a specifically a uniquely appropriate place to be able to ask those questions and try to understand things that aren't necessarily part of their world. And we talk about um, in education, we talk about providing children with uh, windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors uh, in our libraries. So the books that we have on our shelves um, should give a mirror so that they see themselves windows so that they can see other people's experiences and sliding glass doors so they can walk through and experience themselves with empathy. Mm. And I think that that is something that left-leaning people are more (laughs) willing to do um, than right-leaning people are. Yeah. Yeah. That was very well said. I love that. actually have we have a family from Australia in our school yeah and students because we have an emergent curriculum we get to just answer the questions that the kiddos are interested in exploring yeah give them education um and we were talking about trying to remember what exactly we were talking about oh we were talking about if cultures all over the world um celebrate things in December in exactly the same ways. Yeah. And so they understand their celebration. You know, we don't celebrate holidays at work, but obviously like most of the kiddos in our school celebrate Christmas. So we talk about Christmas a lot. Yeah. Um, And so they're like, well, Christmas is um, snowmen and reindeer. And so we talked about how reindeer are from Lapland and where Lapland is. Yeah. Um, and then I asked uh, Karen, who's the um, mom from Australia, I was like, can you come in and talk to my class <laughs> about how you celebrate Christmas in Australia? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. So she brought like Christmas crackers and stuff and it was yeah. super fun. They were all like, wait, there's no snow. And she's <laughs> like, no, it's summer. <laughs> it's super hot. We're yeah. sweltering. Probably yeah. wish there was snow. Yeah. It's fascinating. It was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. 
So one of your questions that you had on your website mm-hmm. was needing to find new ways to work so you could continue creating. Oh, yes, yes. And I thought that was super interesting because I actually didn't start doing any of this until I had kids. Yeah, right. So I, you know, I was, you know, a theater, but so I was doing all the theater stuff, which has definitely changed since I had kids. Yeah. Um, but you know, I didn't discover, uh, the visual stuff Mm -hmm. until, um, when I was teaching in the theater and realized, oh, if I was going to teach theater to kindergartners and first graders, I was going to need to learn how to teach visual arts. Yeah. Because I was going to have to have them sit down and draw things. And I was going (laughs) to have to, you know, have them create things. And so it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I started doing those things. And that was completely inspired by my students I was teaching. And so just having discovered, I didn't pick up a ukulele until I was pregnant with Mickey because I wanted to have an instrument that I could play for and with my child. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, you know, baking came about after I had Mickey really, because I wanted that sensory thing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of these things have come about relatively recently quilting uh, in December, 2020, because I wanted something that I could do during the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah. uh, at my house. And so I knew myself as a theater creative, but I didn't know myself with these other things until I was already a mom. There you go. That's really cool. Yeah. It's been so lovely chatting with you, Jen. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been great. And, yeah, again, thank you for indulging me in the political side of things because it is one of my favourite things to talk about. (laughs) But it's been fascinating and learning all about the dramaturgy, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I just, yeah, it's thank you for sharing so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having grown-up conversations with me. They can be few and far between. <laughs> I'm happy to indulge. Anytime you need one, just let me know. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following, or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. The music you heard featured on today's episode was from Alemjo, which is my new age ambient music trio comprised of myself, my sister Emma Anderson and her husband John. If you'd like to hear more, you can find a link to us in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.